Yo, 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 what's going on, you all? This is your boy, Malcolm Jamal, and you're tuned into Fire Fairy. This is the podcast where we will talk about all things queer, all things black, all things socially conscious, and try to help unpack some of the issues that happen in places where marginalized communities are overlooked, aka the whole world, aka America, coming to you live right now from Atlanta, Georgia. So I just wanted to talk a little bit because, hey, woke up today at 2 a.m. because quarantine and corona is still raining trash on my entire sleep schedule. But woke up to a group thread and my friends were like, oh my God, Trump tested positive for Corona. Woo, yay. Right, I am sounding the trumpets. I am dancing in the streets. I am here proclaiming to the world that I am excited about this. Woo, you know, though it did come directly from his Twitter feed and he is not to be trusted. So this could all just possibly be a complete publicity stunt. But Lord willing, he does have it. And Lord willing, he goes on and deals with him justly. It's so amazing to me that right now we have lots of people that are pouring out all of this compassion and concern for President Donald J. Trump. This guy who has been so hateful to so many communities, right? This person who we confirmed even before the election was an actual rapist, molester, and really like he was like, Grab him by the pussy rug. That guy is who we're pouring out our sympathy for. Mm-mm. Please play with somebody else. If that's who you have your concerns with, this probably isn't a podcast for you. But for me, right, the truth of the matter is that I don't think that everybody deserves our sympathy, especially not people who have harmed the community willingly and knowingly. Right? It's not a matter of you know. I, I don't know. Right? Like for me, I think about justice as. This idea that there are things that we can all agree are right and things we can agree that are all wrong, you know? And so that's when I'm like, oh, right, murder or cheating or stealing, right? Like in ways, right? Like, and I know, right, that everybody doesn't necessarily agree with that and we can always argue about the subjectivity of it. But things like that for me are non-negotiables. And I feel like, you know, because we're in this new culture where people are constantly trying to have opinions on so many things that they're not willing to just draw simple lines, right? Like, I understand, right? Like, as a queer person, I understand that binaries don't always work, right? Everything doesn't fit into two cute, comfortable categories where we can pose one is like the more positive and one is the more negative. However, I do believe, right, like, that there has to be some kind of line so that we can at least distinguish red from blue, right? It can't be that there are no primary colors, everything's just this giant thing, right? Because then, what are we left with? And so, with regards to Trump, or with regards to other races, right, the Proud Boys, the, like, pants, most of the Republican Party, right? Like, I don't like that people in attempts to try to seem like they are trying to make the right decision, trying to negate the fact that there are some people that are just bad, right? That are just terrible. And I don't think that that's fair because for me, that then feels like it also devalues the things that are good. If I, as a Christian, as a believer, believe in things like the law or justice, right? believe, excuse me, in the, the, what I consider to be the truth or what I consider to be heaven and hell, then I should believe also, right, that because of my good deeds, I will gain entrance into the afterlife, right, the positive one, right, the good place. Yay. Shout out to Kristen Bell and Ted Danson and Jamila, Jamila, like all the whole game, right? 
Um, but the good place, right? This idea, right? I'm not saying, right, there's actually a point system and that we need to keep childies like that. But, you know, because we're human. And by virtue of that, we are imperfect beings. However, people who willingly, time and again, show that they don't have concern for other people, that they only are concerned for themselves, that they are willing to rape and murder and destroy, why would we not believe in retribution for those folks? Right? That, for me, feels like an insult. Then it's just like, well, then what's the fucking point of any of this? Why would we sit here and spend all this time trying to believe in systems and structures that don't serve anybody? You know, that's part of the thing I think sometimes, especially as black people, we have a lot of cognitive dissonance around this entire subject because very often we've been taught to believe in like American mythology, right? We like are taught to believe that the founding fathers were great guys and that this country is like founded on the premise of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, or right, it's also the original wording like life, liberty, and property. But we were the property, right? Black people were the kidnapped victims. Property, right? Actually dehumanized, moved around, carted, boated, raped, murdered, separated, chop off your limbs, destroy your families, create division within your own community through rape, right? The children born of rape. We have like the, the mulattoes, the quadroons, the octoroons. If you don't know about it, please Google it. I'm not going to talk about it and unpack that here. But this is your country, right? America, the United States of America, which then also had this wonderful war called the Civil War, right? In the 1860s, which then nearly tore this country apart. And people like to believe that the benevolent Abraham Lincoln decided, no, in all of my loving kindness, I shall free the Negro from his bondage. No, no. He was not this wonderful, moral, upstanding character. And there are multiple quotes that you are welcome to look up, and I'll probably pull some and drop them somewhere in this episode. But what I'm going to say, right, is that this country, founded on hypocrisy, founded with this belief of equality but women couldn't vote, founded on this belief that, like, everybody had the right to property, but if you weren't a landowner, if you weren't whoever they decided deserved to be in the upper echelon of this caste system that they created, then you did not deserve access to this power, access to this dream. Though we all know what the dream is. Where did that dream come from? Who created it? And why should we continue to believe in things that we actually know are garbage? I don't think that that makes sense Right? And I think that it's violence towards all those marginalized communities that are actively left out of the conversation. I just today was looking at this video of an indigenous man. I forget his whole name. I pull it. I believe his colonial name was Seth um, Dogginghouse or something like that. I'll look it up and I'll try to like tag him somewhere in this. But he was talking about a new interstate that was paved over his family's land, right? Over indigenous land. This is something that this country has continued to do, right? Because the settlers, right? The colonists, the colonizers, depending on your vantage point, did not consider the people that were here. They took this land, right? They came from Europe and 
they, they, they brought their own diseases, right? Black death was still reigning through there. We're in search of all these things. We champion Christopher Columbus, though we understand by and large that he was a murderer and he was a rapist, right? That he brought death and destruction to Turtle Island and renamed it America, right? After Amerigo Vespucci was this guy who was like, yeah, this place is great. Christopher Columbus is the man. Woo! USA! USA! Right? That was how this country got its name. It's how this country got its start. But we try to act like the framework, the very foundation of this place that we call America is somehow divorced of that history, divorced of context. America's not in this vacuum, right? All of these things that are happening right now, the homophobia, the xenophobia, the sexism, right? This is not new, right? The reason why we had things like women's suffrage and things that happened, right? Like, we always go like, well, look at like all these people and we try to champion folks like Susan B. Anthony, who was also a racist. Let's champion Ida B. Wells, who was actually one of the black women pushing for women's suffrage. But notice that the ways in which white supremacy frames this country and then we reframe the narrative and say that like some wonderful great white savior is the one who did this magnificent thing for us and everybody goes we should rush to give them all our compassion all of our support all of our patriotism and when black people feel you know a little less nationalist right like when we feel a little less patriarch uh patriotic it's because for so long, this country has not fulfilled any of its promises to us, right? What happened in the 60s, right, when we're at war again and we're here fighting these wars, people are fighting wars, but we're like, how are we out as Americans fighting for justice and freedom and democracy other places when actively Jim Crow was raging in America, right? Actively. Black people don't have access to democracy. Actively. Black people don't have access to housing. Actively. Black people don't have access to employment. And so as a result, right, crime rates look a little different there. Different because A, police were founded by slave catchers, right? So even the framework, which then is like creating the mindset by which now all police departments exist in and work under, is from that mindset of get this darky. You know, like, let's not mince words here or pretend that we don't know that those things happen all the time. This is a truth, a fundamental truth, and Google it, right? Google is your friend. I love when people can learn information and go, oh my gosh, this is exactly the country that we thought it was. You know, I, I um, when I was a teacher, I used to use this this um, YouTube series developed by John Green and um, his brothers and stuff. John Green is also the author of um, The Fault in Our Stars, a lot of other things, but he put together this, uh, this YouTube series called Crash Course. And he used to talk about so many things, but it was great, right? Because it was a very succinct sort of crash course, right? Oh my God, that's redundant. Um, but it was a succinct summary of blips in history. He has like several other topics and things, but the one that I found myself using a lot was the U.S. history one because the U.S. history segment was always, um, like it would always talk about like, hey, here is how, like this is what the Andrew, uh, Andrew Jackson compromise is like. This is what the Louisiana Purchase was. But the continuing theme that undergirded so many of the U.S. history lessons was racism, right? And we have to skirt over it because you can't 
we can't spend too long talking about it in America because every system in America is racist, right? If we wanted to talk about it in any meaningful way, we'd just be like drowning in racism and talk about how all the other isms that came out of white supremacy, specifically cisgendered white patriarchal, like, you know, history, right? Like then we'd be there all day and people would just be like, oh, we can't do anything about it. But it's like, this is a man-made system, you know? And so for me, I guess I've been disillusioned so long ago that I don't really have the compassion or the capacity to try to care for people who are about racist, right? We shouldn't be surprised when, you know, Trump gets endorsed by David Duke or the Proud Boys or, you know, a Breitbart or Fox News, right? Like these people, right? Like you have to question yourself and go, well, why did they do that? And what does it say about their shared value systems? It's not very difficult to see the connections. But often we like to pretend in America like we have no idea where that came from. But for me, I don't think that black people or marginalized communities anywhere have that luxury, right? We have to know who our enemies are so we can try to maneuver around them, right? It's not even, you know, like, and other people might not think about that, right? And, and, I, and that's not to say, right, that there are not privileges with living in America, sure. Me living in America means that me, as a black bisexual man, I don't face as much subjugation or ridicule or death, you know, because if you're in the Czech Republic or in Ghana or Nigeria, like if you're somewhere else, then your queerness might actually be something that could be a, a, like a cause for like the police or, or the community killing you. Here, it's just right, like you face ostracization, you could face alienation, um from the black community because black community is still very homophobic. But, you know, that's its own thing. But by virtue of me being in America, I don't always necessarily walk outside and go, I'm gonna die today because I'm queer, you know? So yes, that is an American privilege. I was able to go to a, a, a HBCU, right? I was able to go to higher education and get post-secondary education, right? I have like bachelor's, master's, like, that is a privilege of living in America, right? I have access to this education. But on the flip side, right, like the oppression comes from the fact that because of my blackness, because of how funding works, because of FAFSA and all of the ways that the federal government creates these economic prisons for people, I still have student loans, right? These things that are connected deeply to racism, that are connected deeply to certain communities being able to get access and be able to live freely, to live without strings attached to whatever it is that's going to help them get to the next opportunity, you know, we don't always get that privilege. You know, and so that's the double-edged sword of America, right? On one side, we're like, yay, we get to go and be out in the streets. I get to be black. I get to be queer. I get to be educated. But on the flip side, none of those things protect me from all of the racist systems, you know, that, like, my education doesn't stop the police from being able to murder me. My education doesn't even always allow me to get jobs, right? Like, one of the things that was so hard for me um, in 2009, when I first graduated from Hampton University, I, I had this degree, right, this shiny piece of paper that my family had told me I needed to get, right? My parents were like, if you get this paper, you will be able to get a good job. You will be able to make six figures easy, right? You will go out and be an astronaut or a fucking journalist or whatever I want it to be, 
But that was not the case. Like so many other things in America, I had to think, right? The thing that society had told me to get, right? This education, this bachelor's degree. And immediately it was devalued, right? Our economy tanked. I couldn't find a job. And I, like Sally Mae started calling me immediately. She was like, hey, where's my money? Um, and that's, 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 that is canonical of America. We, we make these rules. We say these things. Do this thing and you will receive this reward, right? There's an article. If you just Google the myth of meritocracy in America, you will see, right, that so often here, we teach people that if you work hard, your background won't matter, right? If you work hard, your immigrant status will not matter. If you work hard, you being a woman will not matter. If you work hard, nobody will mind your queerness. If you work hard, you too can be a politician. You too can be an astronaut. But that's not true, right? What we've seen over the past, let's just take the past 10 years, right? That in the past 10 years, the wealthiest 1% of America has consolidated their power, right? Jeff Bezos is on track to become the world's first trillionaire. While we have other people that are still waiting on a second stimulus check from our government, you know? And I, I wrote this, um, this blog. Um, you go to jammastermal.blogspot.com, right? It's one of my first ones, on, or most recent ones on there. It's called Capitalism is Violence. It, like... In a lot of ways, I'm fighting against this idea of the meritocracy, excuse me, the meritocracy. Because the meritocracy says, if I work hard, I will get the reward. But the reality of America is people are working very hard and not getting anything. Or they're getting just enough to get by. You know, you're, you're, you're working Hours upon hours, right? You ever talk to somebody that live in New York? Many people in New York, if you are not wealthy or have some, like, real financial stability that comes from an outside source, you might be working two jobs and nobody even flinches at it, right? You work two jobs, you got three roommates, you trying to just make it, right? I'm just trying to swipe a metro car and get in and out and onto the train, maybe go grab drinks with friends and pay off my student loans before I'm 75, you know? People are working hard, really hard. And you have conservatives and Republicans that say you're not working hard enough, right? That go on television and tell black people that you don't have a house because you bought Jordans, right? You don't have a house because you bought the new iPhone. And you go, well, that don't really make sense. Like, iPhone costs, what, $500, $1,000 maybe? A new house costs what? $75,000, $100,000 maybe, right? And black people got a higher interest rate all the time. Google it, not gonna talk about it, right? But somehow what happens in our country is people are victims of systematic and systemic issues. And instead of us talking about and criticizing the system, we criticize individuals. We, we make stereotypes and convenient names to try to cast these people off and say, no, no, personal responsibility. Remember Dr. Fauci when coronavirus first started, COVID-19 hit, and he was just like, oh, yeah, well, you know, black people, y'all got to stop eating fried chicken. 
<laughs> Y'all got to stop, da, 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 right? Like, never mind that black people, if we eat fried chicken, part of the reason why it developed in our culture was the result of slavery, right? Us learning ways that we needed to cook, and so we were socialized for this. And so culture is directly connected to our history. And these things, right, like, it's not, these aren't coincidences. Um, but people will try to suggest that, like, it's, it's on you, right? Like, these things, right, like, it's a chicken or an egg thing. I'm just like, no, no, let's look at the precedent, right? Like, the antecedent and the effect, right? It's not just in this vacuum. These things don't just pop up. They're, they're there for a reason. They came from something. And I think that it's intellectually lazy when people decide, no, no, I'm going to dismiss all of the larger macro responsibility, like the larger ones, like these big systems, like food deserts, like city planners, right? We should ask every, every city council, every mayor, every local parish government, like everywhere, who sits on these city planning committees, right? Who redlines our communities? You know, because it's not coincidence that all the black people happen to end up living in a similar area. If we were talking about it from, right, like just a, a, a communal perspective or from a terrorist perspective, black people ended up trying to move into like specific communities, especially during Reconstruction, because ooh, who's out in the streets? KKK, these like people, all these folks, right? Like we don't talk about slavery, the Civil War, and Reconstruction enough. And you know why I say that? It's because if we did, we would have a much more candid conversation about the ways in which it shaped our communities, right? How it shaped that people were afraid to be murdered. So at least if we all lived in a concentrated area, perhaps we might be able to band together and fight against this thing. But go on. Do tell me about how us buying like the food, the only food available in our neighborhoods and that fits within our budget because of the wage gap is our fault by all means. And the thing that like upsets me is not just where like white people and politicians and other like, you know, leaders will say this, right? But also black people, right? We sometimes internalize that oppression and suggest that it's our fault, right? We don't have empathy for little Shaniqua on the block who's got $5 and one child and she's got to feed herself before she has to go back to work. You know, maybe like, oh my gosh, Shaniqua went to McDonald's. Can you believe her? Why didn't she buy some kale? Kiss my ass. Little Shaniqua is working this job making minimum wage and she lives outside of New York City. Minimum wage is still set at 25 $7.25. The irony becomes, right, like, Shanique was not making a lot of money, but people accuse her of being careless with her health, right? Shanique was doing the best she can to try to make it in a system that is actively oppressing her. I don't think, right, like, before quarantine, we didn't really have as much attunement to the direct consequences of Congress as it relates to our lives. Like literally, Congress would say, we're passing a $1,200 stimulus bill and boom, it's in the mail and I need that money to pay my mortgage or my car note or my insurance or feed myself or pay back bills because I haven't been working for a time, right? 
We like this was one of the first times where we could really see the direct correlation between legislators and the constituency. But we don't think about that as often. You know, minimum wage has been the same since the 90s. The the federal minimum wage level. Mind you, inflation has not stopped. Cost of living has not Decrease, right? Like all these things have continued to skyrocket. And at the federal level and many local levels, people have gone, nope, don't really care about you and your struggle, your poverty, your hunger, your health care, your child care, your actual welfare, your survival is not important to me. We have people like, who is that, Marco Rubio, talking about like that politics is theater. Dur, 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 dur. He says all these things about how. You know, we have to perform, and that is just a grand stage. And it's like, no, no, this is real. This is tangible, right? Like, if you pay Shaniqua more than $7.25 an hour, perhaps she could go get her a lettuce wrap or, you know, buy a bunch of fresh fruits and vegetables and be vegan, paleo, whatever the new diet fad is. But all of these things are outgrowths of, right, like your reality. And so Shaniqua doesn't have time to try to wrestle with why Congress doesn't care about her. She has to try to eat so she can go back to work. So at least she can keep paying for the room that she rents and hope for a better day. Like these mindsets, right? Like I like, I, and I feel conflicted about it, right? Because on one side, I'm like, oh, I really want us to want more for ourselves. But on the other side, my empathy is always with the marginalized people. It's always with the most disadvantaged group and not the like the people who have all the privilege right i don't care about dominant groups like that and that's because right i live in the margins i live in in my truth where I, my skin is still black where my 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 i am still queer right like where i know that there are all these systems that are working in these ways and so i can't really like i'm, I'm much less inclined to give my empathy and sympathy to people who have dominance, right? Like, I absolutely will give my empathy for women more, but that's because, right, like, as a man in a patriarchal society, I still benefit from it, you know? It's, there are all these blind spots, you know, that I have as a man because I don't even think about it. I remember my best friend, or what, like, uh, was saying to me, my female best friend, was talking to me about her experience in New York City as a woman. And, right, like, I didn't, I didn't know, you know, but she's talking about why, like, because we would sometimes, maybe we go out to a party, we go to the club, woo, we turn up, it's like one o'clock in the morning now, we got to go home so we can get ready to get up and go to work or just try to get back to our apartments. But she used to always take this Uber, and she did it for, like, maybe, like, a month, and I didn't really say anything, I was just like, yeah, she balling outrageous, right? Like, mind you, she was in the NBC Page program at the time. But I didn't really understand it. You know, I was just like, whatever. And she also used to keep this butcher knife in her purse. And I, like, we'd be on the train, right? Like, sometimes it would, like, pop out of the show. She'd be like, ooh. People would be looking at her crazy. But I was like, damn, like, that's crazy that she's like that. Like, but I was just like, word. My homegirl is down for whatever. She's trying to, like, scrap. Blah, blah, blah. Like, that's what I thought. But that's my own male privilege that I didn't understand. We live in a patriarchy. We live in rape culture, where men willingly all the time just steal women's bodies, right? You ain't give dude your number in the club, now he follows you 
out the club and murders you in the alley. You then smile at this fool while you were riding in your car so he follows you to the next light and shoots you. Right? This, like, this is real. This is real, right? Like, but my, my own maleness creates a blind spot for me where I don't even understand that. And I, like, so I didn't have context for it. You know, when she's talking about walking to her apartment, but having 911 on her phone, like already dialed just in case something happens and having her keys tucked in between her fingers like brass knuckles. So in case somebody sneaks up on her, she'll punch them and like at least be able to put up a fight for somebody who might try to snatch her up off the streets of Brooklyn. You hear me, right? Like there are so many terrible, terrible things out here in this world and I think that it's important that we start to make ourselves aware of it and make like start to think about right like the hierarchy of oppression and the hierarchy of privilege as it relates to this society and I'm right like I don't know where people might be listening from but I'm talking specifically right now from an American context from the United States of America where do you situate yourself right like and you can just google it right like and it'll talk about um, your intersections of each of them, right? Like, because nobody is all privileged or all oppressed, but, right, like, some groups are more oppressed than others. And it's important for us to name that because then that is the way that we can start to talk in very specific detail about how we change society so that it is more equitable, so that it is more equal and that other people have access to power, that have access to just living a better quality of life than the shit that we've been forced to have to swallow for so long. And I, I won't feel bad about that. I won't feel bad about wanting to champion the less fortunate and say that this person deserves protection, that this person deserves empathy. Where, like, the people that will get my empathy nine times out of ten are going to be those people that are more, that are, that are more vulnerable than I am. You know, and sometimes it'll be me, right? Like, we're standing here toe-to-toe, and we are equally in need of, 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 of protection, in equal need of access. But even still, right, like, that might be the way that we can really shift society. That might be the way that we can really light up fire under some of these politicians because some of them are so jaded and disconnected from our lives that they don't even care about all of the ways in which things hurt us. But I'm going to end it here. But I want you to know that your job as a person in this society, if you do claim to be somebody socially conscious, somebody woke, somebody who is out here trying to make a positive impact on the world, go out here and try to figure out where's a place where you can leverage some of your privilege to help somebody less fortunate than you. Where's some place where you can try to light a fire under somebody who has some blind spot and try to make them see the light, right? Like the truth of how we need to, like, it, like we need to help other people get free, right? Because the saying is that until all of us are free, none of us going to be free, you know? And that's the truth of it. If we don't think about the least of us, then, like, most of us are all going to be subjected to the same thing. We'll all just be crabs in a barrel buying for our own piece of the American dream, of this idea of access, of this idea of privilege that then presses down somebody else instead of saying that the pie is big enough for everybody to eat. 
that's all I got for you all. But I thank y'all so much for tuning in to Fire Fairy Radio. And I am Malcolm Jamal. Holla at your boy.